finally got your first leadership gig, loving the new role, but feeling the pressure of your new responsibilities and all that expectation to perform. Well, don't worry, you're not alone. Crossing the chasm from a technical role to leadership, from doing stuff to managing and leading people is the toughest challenge any leader must make. Welcome to the Human Edge Show, the podcast dedicated to help you do just that, successfully cross the doing to leading chasm. Campbell Such here, Chief Chasm Crossing Guide. I've made all the mistakes so you don't have to. I want to help you learn those lessons much more easily by sharing my experiences and talking with brilliant people who have already figured it out. You'll get great actionable tips, strategies and techniques to make the transition so much easier and faster for you. Now let's get to it. Welcome to another episode of the Human Edge Show. Today, I'm really privileged to have Hamish McLaughlin and Warren Hughes on, on the show with me. Hamish and Warren, welcome to the show. Hi, Campbell. Thanks, Campbell. Great to be here. It's great to have you. It's uh, Warren um, and, and Hamish are both directors of 1HQ and Afero Ventures. Warren's been obsessed with technology and its implication from a very young age. He's worked in technology design, sales, and leadership roles across almost every industry in a career that spans over 30 years. Not that you'd think that from looking at them. He's Thanks, passionate Campbell. About, <laughs> he's passionate about spending time in businesses that can use technology to grow and differentiate themselves. The last few years have seen Warren focus on improving the innovation options available to small and medium businesses through the founding of 1HQ with his business partners. He sees that New Zealand small and medium enterprises, SMEs, have huge opportunities to improve productivity and growth using technology, but that without this approach, we run the risk of seeing serious GDP erosion. Hamish has significant experience in finance accounting. He's developed an enduring career within the financial services and establishing startup ventures and specializes in business strategy and change management. He's motivated by focusing on how businesses can adapt their business models to more effectively grow and compete with a constantly changing market. Hamish's passions have always been around looking for smarter ways to do business. While there are lots of people with great business ideas and initiatives, <clears throat> excuse me, Hamish's skill is evolving these ideas into a reality to deliver viable commercial outcomes and growth opportunities. In addition to 1HQ, Warren and Hamish founded Afero Ventures in 2018 to help drive scale into NZ small and medium enterprise businesses. Their aim? providing both expertise and sourcing capital to great innovative focused ideas within New Zealand who need more than just money to be serious contenders within a fast changing economy. They've worked in a number of business, they've worked with a number of business owners jointly to bring new ventures to life. What's going on in their lives? So um, Hamish and Warren, I'll just kick off by asking you, what's one thing from each of you that not many people would know about you? Uh, I'll start. Um, so from uh, my involvement with technology from a very young age, I tried to link that to uh, to starting a business. And uh, while I was at high school at lunchtime, I, I would charge kids for entry to a lecture theatre where I would um, I'd provide uh, admission to movies that weren't um, available within the New Zealand market and, um, and charge a couple of bucks on the way. So that, you know, that was me combining uh, my love of technology and working a little bit differently to um, to start a little business. Well, where, where did those... one that I got in quite a lot of trouble for as a teenager. <laughs> I, won't, I won't ask you about what the movies were. Should... Uh, it's all pretty above board. Yeah, right. Wow. Where, so where... at that age, mostly fascinated with scary movies. Uh, and how did you source? <laughs> how did you manage to source those? 
Well, well, of course, back then it was all about pen pals and I had a pen pal who had um, a parent who worked um, for a movie distribution business in the United States. And believe it or not, he used to post me uh, VHS tapes. Wow. Yeah. I'm showing my age. Enterprising from a young age. That's awesome. (laughs) Hamish, how about you? Yeah, I was thinking perhaps one of my one of the reasons my sort of I'm more hands-on in business. I so I grew up on a farm. And so I was always very used to sort of working in, helping out, getting your hands dirty with stuff. Um, interestingly enough, you know, I, I never went back to the farm, I ended up in a sort of a city and business environment, but I've always it's always helped me a good stead. I really enjoyed that uh, that period of my life. Yeah. Well, that, that's really interesting. I had a um back in my back in my youth, I was a city boy, but had uh had an uncle with a farm down in Tipuki and I uh, used to go feeding out hay and driving tractors. Well, I wasn't driving tractors at a young age. So it's it's amazing how you, that experience can just round some things out and uh, and help connect you back with keeps, the land. Keeps you grounded. That's right. Yep. Yeah, keeps you grounded. Um, so just to, <clears throat> just to kind of kick things off, one of the, one of the biggest challenges is, those early steps that we take into leadership roles when, when we move into a leadership role. Warren, casting your mind back to your early days of leadership, what what um, what mistakes that you um, looking back now, what mistakes did you make or what missteps did you make that you that you do differently now? And what advice would you give to new leaders moving into those roles, into a new role to to help make that transition as easy as possible and, and minimize the, any likely mistakes? Mm. Yeah, so, so <laughs> I've made a good amount of mistakes for sure uh, in my career. The, I think the uh, some of the biggest ones that I've learned from are uh, in leadership roles, you're often getting hired by a board or, or from some uh, senior individuals who are, you know, uh, maybe a little bit disconnected from the oper- the day to day operations of the business. Uh, and and often they are looking for a silver bullet, right? So someone, um, you know, yeah, maybe maybe uh, the board has been uh, not particularly comfortable with some of the, uh, you know, maybe it was slow delivery or um, or not being un- able to understand the technology capability within their business and, and what it's delivering. Uh, and so, uh, and so they uh, they try to recruit these these silver bullets. So uh, there's this belief that if we can find someone with enough broad experience to come in, then this person can fix uh, the situation, right? And so, I think I think a couple of times uh, the mistake that I've made is actually believing that I could be that person. Um, and the reality is is that the early days of taking on a new leadership position have got to all be about extending empathy to the existing team, you know, just doing nothing but listening, you know, becoming really embedded in that team and finding opportunities to build trust with the team. Because there is always uh, many sides uh, to a story. And, uh, and uh, you know, often the people that will hire you will have one position and view of how things are working in their business. And the people who are actually doing the work will have a completely uh, different view. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that's that, that idea of being realistic about how much change and how much improvement a single individual can initiate in the leadership role, I think, is has been very, uh, very valuable to me. Uh, the only, the other associated thing that I've learned is, uh, you know, in the past, I've, I've tried to move too quickly. 
you know. So I've had my ideas of what has worked and what hasn't worked in the past, but I haven't spent enough time in understanding enough of the context of this of a new business or a new team in my new role to work out what parts of those things that have worked for me in the past would be applicable to the new role that I have and potentially you know, a new employer. And so uh, you're, you're moving too quickly, not listening enough. Yeah, yeah. interesting. That's, that's interesting. The um, So in terms of what I'm hearing is two things. One is connection to the team and the other one is mm-hmm setting the expectations with the people that are bringing you in that, mm-hmm. you know, if you think this is a silver bullet, yeah, probably not. Um, yeah. What was, what's your process for, for helping to set those expectations early on? Because that's, I guess that's, especially for someone in a new role where they're moving into something that they're not familiar with, that might mm-hmm. be quite a daunting thing to, to undertake. What would you suggest someone do to try and set those expectations right and give themselves some breathing space to actually make change that's that's realistic. Mm. You know, even if there's there's um, an expectation that's still going to be dr- driven quickly as as it possibly can. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think there's uh, having a reasonably clear process with uh, for the stakeholders who are essentially putting you in this position uh, is important. And you know, we, we you know, often these types of conversations you talk about 30, 60, 90 day plans. Um, but there's there's setting the expectation that there is an awful lot of listening to do, and the uh, and that the people that who will deliver the change in the business are mostly the people who already work in the business. And so uh, there are a bunch of cultural and communication and personality type issues that need to be resolved between the teams doing the work and the stakeholders employing the new leader uh, to lead that team. And so I think setting really early expectations about uh, how much is possible and the timeframes that change is possible in. Uh, and also actually going through a period of making sure the successes are called out. So the things that the teams are doing really well, a lot of stakeholders, a lot of boards have a very narrow view around maybe how easy something is or how long something should take. Uh, and so providing uh, some explanations around actually these are really complex changes or issues that your teams are already dealing with. And so it's completely normal for these to take longer than you'd like them to take, board, for them to cost more money than you'd like them to cost. And and sort of and, and sort of you know going through a little bit of a period of making sure that uh, that stakeholders within the business see all of the good that is being done. Uh, I think it's really important. Yeah, well that's great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And, and Hamish, um if you can remember the question. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. I, mean, I, just think I could sort of pick up on a few points there from Warren because like, yeah. I, I do oh, think that the listening um, point is, is a big one mm. um, and, and listening to – looking out for, for the positives as much as the negatives because mm. we often, um, as leaders or as, as management teams, end up focusing on what's wrong, mm. um, which is actually quite destructive and, and – in the culture of those teams because you're mm. always trying to fix the next thing and fix the next thing. Mm. You know, often you, you forget about all the great successes along the way. Mm. I was thinking also then sort of rather than just, I definitely agree with what you were talking about there, Warren, but some of the, some of the other challenges that um, new leaders make is ending up going, you know, once they've, they think they've understood everything, you end up making decisions that are popular. 
Yeah. <laughs> because you, you, you're almost as a new leader, you're trying to perhaps prove yourself or come up, be seen uh, in a more positive light. So you sort of go with whatever the popular decision is, mm. Um, mm. which, you know, that doesn't always work out as well as you might think. You've got to have the strength to perhaps ask the harder questions. And often you'll be more successful by pushing back and just going with sort of the direction that, that's currently been taken. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, th- I think that strength and then perhaps consistency of, of the way you go about um, leading them is also becomes important because you know I think often your teams will respect you more if you know it might be an unpopular decision, but if you're consistent with the way you then move overhead with um, that decision, it certainly builds respect. Yeah. <clears throat> you talked about being popular. Is that being popular? Uh, looking up, or is that being popular? Looking, let's say, looking up into the into your boss or the lead, you know, the the exec team above you, or is that within the team itself making popular decisions, or perhaps a bit of both? I, th- I think it can definitely be be both. I think perhaps what's what is important to think about is is to do what's right for the business above what is right for you. <laughs> you know, often mm. people put their own hats on rather than mm. you know the, the you you're, you're in a business. You know, for a reason, you're there to try and improve that business to the best of your ability. So, to do the right, make the right decisions for that business. Yep. Um, and sometimes that does mean pushing back when you're when you're communicating up, yeah. <laughs> as much as when you're communicating down. Yeah, and and especially upwards in terms of explaining the complexity, because the people that are doing the work probably understand the complexity, or you know, at least the bits that they're involved in. That's Whereas true. it's easy when you're looking down into something to sort of, you know, often I hate hearing the word sh- surely because it always means to me that someone doesn't quite understand the complexity of something. Surely it'll only take a week. Surely this is it, you know. When you, and so that's that's perhaps what you're talking about, Hamish, in terms of um, looking upwards and, and trying to help them understand the complexity, the risks, um, the delays, the extra costs, all those sort of things. Um, at the same time, obviously, though, um, making sure that you're being seen to be uh Fair and reasonable, and the, the, what you're telling them is 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 accurate because that's mm. that's a challenge, right? Because it's really easy to for projects to run on, and you know that's the classic in the in the IT space. Projects always you know take longer, cost more, and don't necessarily deliver all of the stuff that you started with, and that's a really hard hard place to be, both from a project manager and also who's ever managing the team. So, and I think there's lots of different perspectives in business. You know, a business owner we might have a very different perspective to someone who's down doing the work. And doesn't necessarily understand the complexities there, but but sometimes the person who's caught up in the detail needs to come out of that detail a little bit as well. So there's sort of that sort of balance yeah. in the middle. Yeah. Um, Warren, you talked before about uh, embedding yourself in the team, and uh, and mm-hmm. I think you used the word empathy, or at least mm-hmm. that's what I what I heard. Mm-hmm. Um, could you talk a little bit about just talk a little bit about that and what what you mean by that and how you'd go about doing that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so because the majority of the roles, uh, senior leadership roles I've had have been leading uh, technology teams and technology capabilities, um, the, it's incredibly important that uh, that you make sure that the team or the teams that you're leading sort of, uh, respect your own technical capability and your own technical interest. Because, uh, you know, I've... Historically, I've been a very, very hands-on technical person early in my career, building computers, 
or, you know, architecture, that sort of thing. And then as you get more and more into senior management and leadership roles, uh, it can be very easy just to become focused on uh, your line of business budgets and KPIs and, and, and other things, right? And you lose uh, a lot of the... Um, a lot of the value and mentoring that you can add to developing technical teams, uh, because uh, that's some apart from. For me, as far as I'm concerned, there's really only two major things that my teams have wanted for me, leading them is uh, to be able to provide some level of mentorship around some of the more complex technologies and technology environments I've worked in that would help them develop their careers and, and also to kind of hold an umbrella over their heads to protect them from, um, uh, say, the crap flying downhill, right? <laughs> so the, yeah. the, you know, the um, excessive expectations for how quickly things should be done or how well they should be done or that software can be released with zero bugs or whatever, right? So you're kind of providing that safe environment where they, their skills can be developed, their careers can be grown, and they can do the things that they love. And, and to be able to do that, uh, you need to be able to demonstrate to your teams that you do actually have technology leadership capability that can contribute um, uh, to them. And so this is, um, I, I've, I've always been about sort of building smart companies through building smart teams. Right. And so um, the way you build smart teams is becoming, is spending time within those teams uh, and helping, I find helping making very minor course corrections or suggestions about ways of thinking about a problem or a solution differently. Uh, you know, doing that frequently with my teams as opposed to uh, letting that team work for three months to come up with a solution, do a bunch of work. And then, you know, having to have a session where it's, you know, for one reason or another um, that, uh, you know, the market might have changed or it may not be fit for purpose or it might be overly complicated to implement or, or whatever. And so just having having frequent engagement with the teams, you know, doing at least twice as much listening as, as I am talking, but just kind of suggesting other things to think of or, or different ways to think of. Uh, about a problem. And, and for me, all, all of that comes through empathy. Everyone has a much more complicated life, including ourselves, um, than is obvious in the workplace. And there are there are so many things. I mean, it doesn't get any more complicated than operating times like this. There are so many other things going on for people that, you know, as a leader providing an environment where, you know, people can kind of maybe come and forget or put into perspective some of those non-work issues and actually do some things that they love and get some real um, get some real energy, excitement and happiness from that, I think it's a really big um, a big responsibility of a leader. And, and for me, that is all about empathy. Yeah. Mm. Hamish, any thoughts on that? I see you nodding um, as Hamish is talking. Yeah, I love I, it when I, Hamish nods. Warren's talking. I do, um, <laughs> I do agree. I, I do agree. It's almost about um, – it's helping to influence your team so working with them mm. it's not That's about sort of forcing decisions because normally your, your teams will make all the right decisions you're sort of mm. working with them to sort of perhaps influence a certain direction or, or another and so empowering teams to make decisions mm. um, is kind of important yeah. Mm. yeah it's interesting with coming coming into a role into a role from a technical you know a, a, a level of technical expertise as a leader one of the one of the 
things that you talked about, Warren, was a risk of getting away from the technology. What happens for a lot of leaders when they move out of a technical role is it's the opposite. And, and instead of operating at a across the team, they tend to keep diving back in again. Um, I think that's a really challenging thing to do. Yeah. Whatever technical background you have, it's because it's almost your comfort zone. Mm. You, you think you want to dive back into it because you, you know it so well. Mm. Mm. And you, so you've got to really challenge yourself to keep away from some of those topics mm. when someone mm. else is responsible for delivering that. Mm. So how, how do you do that? How do you do that, Hamish? What, yeah. What's the what's the? It's approach? challenging sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the thing is, you come from a you come from a technical role where of expertise where you know you have a way of getting things done, which is to take it on and do it yourself. Whereas when you mm. step into a leadership role, it's not about getting things done yourself because otherwise you end up limiting the, the capacity mm. of the team. It's helping getting done stuff through other people. So mm. super important to be able to catch yourself doing that perhaps. And, yeah. uh, and, but I, you know, that's a, that's a tough challenge, right? And it, almost often that needs a little bit of a mentor from outside or a coach from outside or maybe your mm. boss to, um, to help you with that. The Hamish, Hamish uh, hit the nail right on the head before when you said influence, because it is that it is, uh, it is, uh, I guess, taking your experience and um, and and implementing that through influencing teams. Uh, I think you know, as opposed to doing the work yourself. I mean, there's nothing more annoying, really, to teams where the, some leader comes in and takes over, or um, or you know, or you know, dispenses work that's been done and replaces that work with something else they've done. Uh, but it is it is a balance to be able to, uh, as a, as a technology based leader, to keep your skills up to date enough where your leveraged experience can provide value to your teams, but to avoid as much doing as possible. Yeah, yeah. So yes, that's right. So you're using your you're using your technical skill to be able to help mm. help you make really good decisions, but also help the team perform better. Yeah. Yeah. The way I do that personally is um, I I have a extensive home lab environment where I can get to be you know the fifteen year old Warren uh, and be very very hands on and experiment with some new technologies and that sort of thing and then when I go into the office I'm I'm uh, the influencer and the leader not the doer right yeah so you get your fill of the of the of the toys and the tools yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. right that is that, um, that's one of the biggest challenges for a lot of leaders is people when they move out of a technical role into a leadership role is that they miss the toys miss the tools yeah and yeah. Uh, and that's that you know that that pullback is is really challenging yeah um Hamish in in your career um can you recall the the first time that you stepped out of a leadership role where you were leading and influencing a team getting stuff done into a leading leader's role where the, all of the people that were reporting to you weren't doing stuff anymore, but they are actually leading people to get stuff done. And how you how you found that and how you made that transition and um, how you might advise a, a leader stepping up from a leadership role into a uh, of a team into a leading leader's role? You know, I think for a long while in my career, I was in management-type roles with, with teams beneath me, technical teams. But then I stepped out into my own business. It was that next big step where I was in an environment where I had two other business partners and we're trying to achieve these business goals together, which is a very, very different environment mm. because you're trying to influence or, or 
move forward when you've all quite strong characters because typically people who move into you know, starting their own businesses are certain have certain traits are certain mm-hmm. uh, certain quite strong type individuals so I think the challenges there were how do you influence another really strong individual with very strong mm-hmm. views mm-hmm. Um, again there's no um, straight answer there because yeah. you just have to sort of work it out and try and find ways to connect with each other mm-hmm. that um, you can actually influence a better outcome together than you could individually. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then, then when you step into step out into a business with partners, so you're influencing across, there's also presumably uh, you have an, a, a management team or over time you build a management team within the organisation or a leadership team within the organisation. So that at that point, then you're leading leaders um, presumably and so that rather than just um influencing out it's also influencing the influencing down that's right and i guess some of the challenges there is when you have a business ownership hat on is making it really clear to the leaders below you actually uh, who is making decisions um because it's not all wasn't all three of you (laughs) you know otherwise you end up with sort of this you know blended decision (laughs) it's it's never the right one (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Man, uh, decision by committee often is a pretty challenging place to be, right? So yeah, that, that's uh, right. And I yeah. think I think that's a a common problem in in small business because mm. there's there's you know two or three or sometimes more owners who have set this thing up, so they they probably know the topic really well, uh, but then trying to evolve beyond just the three or four of you into something that's that's bigger starts. You need more structure again. Yeah. If you were a leader coming into a business where there were two or three owners like that, so perhaps like one of your businesses, what would you be saying to those people coming into leadership roles in an organisation like yours or like like Warren's? Um, how would you advise them in terms of managing up into a, an environment like like you guys where there are multiple people running the show? I think that comes back to the point we made earlier where you don't just make a popular decision. You know, I think you've got to be a strong leader. And that's what um, businesses should look for in leadership is strength, pushback. Um, and that's actually a really good thing. Yeah. Don't, don't just go in and say and just agree with whatever the board or owners of that business yeah. think because, you know, they'll probably appreciate you pushing back or sort of saying, actually, this is probably not quite the right thing to do right now. Yeah. Yeah. If they're not getting the answers, if they're not getting the answers that they need or the questions that they need to, to be answering for themselves, then they're missing out on stuff, right? So well, they're actually hiring work. leaders for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. It's not right. just to agree with what they think. It's actually to do the right thing for the business. Yeah. Warren, any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah. No, I mean, similar, similar thoughts. Um, you know, when you when you hire people, you go through usually an extraordinarily complex, especially for leaders or managers of teams, uh, a complex process to make sure that they've got what it takes to do the job. And so, therefore, you should expect those individuals to not always agree with you um, and and to push back on you. And and I think as a leader. Uh, you know, managing managing uh, leaders, you you want those people to be. I guess you want to create an environment where, um, where they can be open and honest, 
about decisions that are made, the effects of those decisions, you know, whether you know, a decision I've made has backfired or is a decision that maybe one of my leaders disagrees with. I think you've got to have a really um, real trust-based environment that you can have those really difficult conversations, uh, uh, some of what Hamish is talking about, and not expect any repercussions. Yeah. And so it's, it's just got to be, it's got to be, you know, just people talking with people. It's, it's, it's almost, you've almost got to get it to a point where your leaders, it's almost a peer relationship. Right? Because I think that's where the best value comes from is the more comfortable people are in sharing what they really believe. Because they, they'll, regardless of what they say to you, they'll act on their beliefs. Right. And uh, and so if they don't agree with uh, an idea or a decision, uh, then they will, you know, they will implement your decision, but not you won't necessarily get the benefits from it that you would have hoped. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there is a there is an old Steve Jobs quote that I that I bring up to everyone, which is which is basically like it doesn't make sense to hire smart people and tell them what to do. Yeah. You hire smart people so they'll tell you what to do. That's a little bit different nowadays, but it is. It, it just kind of reminds me that if I'm going to spend all this time making sure someone's the right person for the job, then I need to make sure I give them the space to do the job. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, that that's um, that that's really that's really powerful. Isn't it? There's another there's another saying that goes on. I'm probably going to butcher this. Um, um, that goes something like. Now I've just lost my train of thought, so I'll come. I'll come back. <laughs> I'll, it sounds like an edit. That's, that's, that's probably that's probably going to be an edit. Um, moving right along. Uh, no, I know what it was. So the the saying is um, so, so that that goes something like. Um, uh, <laughs> No, I've lost. God, it's, it's gone again. It must be, I don't know what's going on. Have it's you had your coffee today yet? Another, yeah, I need some coffee. <laughs> I haven't had a coffee. <laughs> um, so, look, we're um, we're um, sort of coming up towards, you know, um, the, the end. And, and I just wanted to just, before we um, before we finish off, I just wanted to touch on uh, another piece of the puzzle, which is the leader of leaders and how they help. With, they've, so, someone's a leader of leaders. Just, you've just appointed a new person to the team. Either you've empl- you've either uh, promoted them from within the team, or you've brought them in from outside. What should a leader do to to help that new leader uh, have the best chance of succeeding and and the least chance of struggling and being challenged and and feeling like they're not supported? Maybe the whole imposter syndrome thing. Got any ideas um, around that, Hamish? That might be useful for anyone that's listening to this or watching. I mean, perhaps when I've been in situations like that myself before, um, it's really helpful just to understand the entire picture. Yeah, you because know, sometimes you come into a, into a leadership role and you go, "Well, I sort of understand bits of it, but I don't understand all of it." So, I think to be a, a good leader of leaders, you have to really embrace that new leader coming into an organisation share the good, the bad, and the ugly with them and make them really feel like uh, you're there to support them and, you know, work closely together with them. Perhaps that, perhaps that's more about that leader being vulnerable enough to open up, to, to sort of really embrace that new leader coming in. Yeah. Warren, any thoughts on that? Um, yeah. I'm, so generally um, what I do is uh, is make sure the new leader understands how we're measuring the success, you know, the hard metrics of the role. 
Um, so, so just get those hygiene factors out of the way. So it's kind of like, you know, when we catch up every week, um, you know, to, to go through any challenges, like a sort of a regular one-to-one, um, you know, here, here are the, you know, here are the metrics. They're usually, they're usually my metrics that I need to report up. Here are the metrics that we're interested in and, and get those hygiene factors out of the way. And then I'm uh, really, in most cases, really just trying to stay out of the way. Um, so be there for your new leader um, with advice or supporting relationship building or or capability or to be a sounding board, but to make sure that that leader gets to establish their mark and the way they want to work on their team and that um, I don't I don't sort of override them or spend too much time early on with that new leader in their team. You know, it's it's got to be, you know, their people have got to got to know that, you know, the words, the ideas, the way things are done are actually coming from their new leader, not from their leader's leader. That makes sense. Yes, good point. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. so so just staying out of their way is important to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So not not jumping all over them, but I think so uh, there's sort of interesting balance between feeling supported, you're right, and being left alone. Mm, mm, that's right. Yeah. yeah, and that's a hard balance to find, isn't it? Feeling supported and not being left alone, and that probably comes back. Well, I believe it comes back to providing that that, for want of a better term, safe environment where you can have those open, robust conversations without mm. fear of reprisal. Mm. Um, so that and that your direct report, who's leading another team, can mm. feel comfortable to come to you and and have that uh, yeah. have that conversation, get some good support. Perhaps you disagree with them. Perhaps they disagree with you, but at least then they go away with the with some broader aspect of it and are able to look at it. And if they don't feel comfortable, make sure that your leaders know that there are alternative methods for them to be able to give feedback about their leader, about their manager, um, uh, without reprisals. Um, uh, you know, so there's there's usually a, a PPC or HR function involved there, or, or, or some some other way, and. And, and for ourselves, um, we need to be very comfortable that, um, you know, there will be topics that our uh, leaders, our direct reports, just just won't or can't bring up with us and would rather talk to someone else about. Uh, and, and we need to accept and respect that. Yeah. And make it clear that that, that path's available. And yeah. You, and it's completely normal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> completely normal. That's right. A lot of... You know, in my career, and I know, and I know a lot of not of other a lot of other leaders that I talk to um, feel that you know that have, have felt that whole idea of well, what am I doing here? You know, the whole imposter syndrome thing. So that can mm. be a real challenge of feeling mm. that actually you are there, but for a really good reason, and that's because mm. the person that put you there believes that you can do it. Maybe mm. not not just yet. Maybe mm. big growth curve, which of course is what what you know what it's all about. Um, but you're there for a reason, and and not to feel that you can't, and to lack the confidence to do it. Mm. Um, just just before we wrap up, uh, Warren and Hamish, um, is there anything that I haven't asked you that uh, that I should have that you'd like to just uh, finish up with? Closing thoughts. Closing words. thoughts. Um, one of the things I often think about leadership is um, it's perhaps way lonelier than you realise. <laughs> and some, some, you know, I, I think often being and, and maybe that's being a leader of leaders type of uh, that sort of role, mm, mm. Um, because often you have to, um, you know, 
hold your emotion back, let other people do things. But you, you're there at the end of the day on your own <laughs> trying to hold the whole ship together. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just a reality of some of those roles. Yeah. And, and, and knowing that, what, what, would you, what have you done in the past to be able to... Um, I think, I think um, surrounding yourself with um, perhaps mentors or other peers, even from other businesses yeah. um, who have similar types of challenges, just so you can actually share and get ideas from, mm. you know, from not just within the organisation, but from outside of it. That's yeah. been really helpful for me. Yeah, that's powerful. Building a network around you from yes. other businesses out, not necessarily just inside and not and making sure you don't feel isolated, which that's when right. the stress and pressure goes on, it's very easy to do. So that's that's really powerful. Thank you. Mm. Warren. Uh, I think the question you should have asked me was, would you do it again? <laughs> so, uh, so 32 years, I've had a bunch of jobs. Um, almost every time I've taken a new role, I, um, I'm quite ambitious, so I've always taken roles that scare me or are uh, somewhat or substantially beyond my capability. Um, and, and at times during my career, yeah, I've, I've thought, actually, you know, I grew up in Cambridge. I was going to be an equestrian vet, you know, yeah, look after horses. Um, but what I've discovered as I've, as I've got older is that um, – all that anxiety riddled and worrisome, taking jobs that are too hard, you know, making mistakes and learning from them, they all add up to um, a different perspective and sort of a bucket of experience that I find quite easy to apply to different situations I work in nowadays. And I, I think that when I'm working with a business or working with a board, um, uh, it's 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 pretty easy for me to kind of dip into that bucket and think of uh, you know add some value at the time or, or think of a different way of looking at a challenge or an opportunity uh, and so and if you combine that I feel like the work that I've done helping and developing technology teams um, is for me as a technology person sort of one of the most rewarding things you can do with your time so. Yeah, maybe 10 years ago, if you'd asked me if would I do it all again, I'd probably say no. But now I've kind of got to this point in my career, I'm quite satisfied with all the different tools and the toolkits and the experience and and that's, um, it, it can it can help people. Yeah. Isn't it funny how we say we, you learn more from your mistakes? Yeah. I think, I think often when we're more in advisory type roles now, we're in, we, we come up against... You know, other businesses that we even try and say, look, we've done this, we've made this mistake before, don't go down yeah. this track. Yeah. People don't actually really listen to you. Yeah. <laughs> and they almost need to learn some of those mistakes themselves. Yeah. They, um, well, I think I know who you're referring to. When I said that I've been 60% <laughs> wrong and 40% right, then they started listening. I twisted it while I was in the room potentially, but anyway. <laughs> Well, that's a fantastic way to, to finish up. Warren and Hamish, thank you very much. Uh, awesome insight, great advice, and, uh, and hopefully we'll have you back on the show at some point uh, to have another chat. Thanks very much. That sounds great. Thank you. Thanks, Campbell. Really okay. enjoyed it. See you later. Bye. See you later. Bye. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. If you have a friend or a colleague who would benefit from this episode, please pass the word along. If you have a friend or a colleague who would not benefit 
but you haven't been in touch with them for a while, give them a call. iTunes reviews are great to get the word out and to help me create the show that's most useful for you. And if you're frustrated or having challenges or would like some help, guidance, assistance with your first leadership role, then check out integrationcatalyst.com in the link in the podcast notes below. Or pass this on to your boss to nudge them to get you the help you really need to cross the doing to managing chasm and get you powered up on your leadership and management journey. Oh, and if you want to make sure you don't miss an episode, hit subscribe. Until next time.